I mean, I had a moment where I was sitting there on the couch watching, I think it was Olympic soccer, and I had an ice pack Mm -hmm. strapped onto each hip, and I'm sitting there watching the British men's team play, and they announced that the captain was 36. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm 33. How is that guy playing soccer at this level? And like, I can't play a 45 minute once a week co-ed game (laughs) without getting hurt. Welcome to How To. I'm Carvel Wallace. You know, it's been rumored that many, many highly paid, highly conditioned elite professional athletes listen to our show. And if that's you, let me say straight away, We appreciate your listenership, and we would love to receive some tickets. But right now, I want to put you aside for a second and talk to the recreational athletes. You know who you are, the park league softballers, the pickleball posse, the 5K runners who are pretty sure you can do a 10K. If that's you, I want you to listen to me when I say, no matter how old you are right now, you're going to keep getting older. And as an athlete's body ages, it increasingly does not like surprises. Protection breaks down and time runs out. Down goes Rodgers in the sack for Leonard Floyd. A loss of 10 on the play, and hopefully the Jets are thinking that's the only loss on that play. That's the sound of NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers tearing his Achilles tendon in the first game of the 2023 season. At 39 years old, Rodgers was the league's oldest active player, and his season was already over. Then, just days later, the same thing happened to a different aging athlete. He wasn't quite as famous as Aaron Rodgers, but in a sense, he's our quarterback here at How To. I'm Derek, and I feel like I should just, we should just be full, full disclosure, I do work on this show. You might recognize Derek's name from the credits at the end of each episode. He's one of our producers. And while you may not have heard about his injury on ESPN, it was just as serious as the one suffered by Aaron Rodgers, because a torn Achilles is no joke. I was just playing in one of my pickup basketball games, Mm -hmm. and it was one of those things where I I literally just, like, I had the ball, and I stepped back to plant my, my right foot, and I just felt something pop and kind of knew instantly what had happened and just sort of crumpled to the ground and ended up going to the ER and it was a a whole thing. And this comes on the heels, no pun intended, of (laughs) several ankle injuries and other uh, chronic ailments uh, while I've been playing sports, especially pickup basketball. And I'm not getting any younger and I feel like there's probably a better way to uh, age gracefully into my my, uh, athleticism. You're not getting any younger. How much How much not younger are you, Derek? <laughs> All right. I've, I've been on this earth 46 years okay. at this point. All right. Did you sink the three? Yeah. Actually, I, I had sunk a three just before this happened. Okay. Uh, and I was, in fact, in fact, the strange thing at the time was I've been kind of a sporadic pickup basketball player, uh-huh. especially coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. And this was like this new game that I was trying out at my local park district and I was there, I was like one of the first guys there. And I, I mean, I had like 30 minutes of warm up. Like I have never been mm. warmed up this well in my life. Like I'm usually one of those guys who kind of comes in late and just barely gets a couple stretches. Mm. And I was just feeling good, loose, warm, started the game well. And then, yeah, wow. like 15 minutes in, pop. And so after surgery and bed rest and many weeks of physical therapy, Derek, like Aaron Rodgers, is on the road to recovery. But of course, a lingering concern he has 
is how does he prevent this from happening again? Maybe there's like some kind of physio workout thing I should be doing. One thing I've, I, I learned after this happened is like, I would say a quarter of the guys in my regular pickup games, and a, a few of these guys are, are actually older than me, have all had this exact same injury. So mm -hmm. it, in some ways it made me feel a little better. Mm -hmm. But again, my, my wife is always saying like, you just seem so injury prone, like you must be doing something wrong. And I think I probably am. Mm. I'm curious, like what's been the hardest part about recovering from this injury? Is it is it the physical? Is it the mental? Like what is the biggest struggle here? I think it's both. Certainly just being laid up in bed for a month with really, you know, no mobility at all was very, very difficult. But then also just knowing like, I'm not going to get to see my, my group of guys for another, you know, at least another six months or so, probably mm -hmm. not until next summer mm -hmm. if, if I'm lucky. That's hard is just not having kind of that camaraderie, that sense of community, which is a big part of why I, you know, st still play pickup basketball. Like I've never been much of like a gym rat. I don't love just going and lifting weights mm -hmm. and doing, you know, exercise for the sake of exercise. To me, I always wanted it to be kind of connected to like a sport yeah. or something since I, I grew up playing a, a lot of sports. And so, yeah, I think that's probably been the, the hardest thing. Luckily for Derek, today's expert is someone who literally wrote the book on staying athletic well into middle age and beyond. I'm Jeff Berkovici. I am the business editor at the LA Times, but I'm here today because I wrote a book called Play On, The New Science of Elite Performance at Any Age, uh, which is a sort of a sports science book looking at this phenomenon of athletes competing longer, have, you know, performing better at the end of their careers, and what are the sort of advances in science and medicine and nutrition and so forth are uh, behind that phenomenon. Jeff, you wrote about athletes dealing with the aging process because you noticed changes and in injuries in your own body as you got into your mid-30s. Is Derek's story familiar to you? Oh, it's it's painfully familiar. Again, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you swap in soccer for uh, for basketball, it's, it's pretty much the exact same story. Uh, soccer for basketball and a, and a back injury for an Achilles injury. The basketball courts and soccer fields and tennis courts of, uh, of Brooklyn and far beyond are, are littered with the broken bodies of, of our brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so on today's show, we're going to explore how to stay active as an older athlete and avoid getting stuck on the sidelines. And when we come back, we'll hear more of Jeff's story and what he learned from studying the training habits of elite athletes and not so elite athletes. Stay with us. We're back with journalist and author Jeff Berkovici and our producer, Derek. And as we dive into training and nutrition and other aspects of athletic performance, it's important to note that Jeff is not a doctor or a medical expert, but he is someone who spent years researching these topics and the experiences of professional athletes. I'm a very, very mediocre but enthusiastic uh, recreational athlete. As part of a, a sort of early midlife crisis in my 30s, I started playing a lot of rec league soccer. You know, it was the first time I'd done any kind of real organized sports in a long time. And I'd always thought of myself as someone who was, again, you know, not a, not a particularly great athlete, but always someone who was fast and fit and strong. You know, I could kind of run all day and outrun anyone. And uh, quickly discovered starting to play soccer at age 33 with people who were, you know, 23. 
uh, wasn't the case anymore. Not not like that at all. You know, I would yeah. I would literally yeah. like try to make a hard cut, you know, to stay with someone and I would fall to the ground. My legs would just give out and I would go down <laughs> and I would be so sore afterwards. I had to take days off work for soreness, which is not something I had experienced before. And then I started picking up the nagging injuries and the injuries that would sort of snowball and as I got deeper into my soccer journey, you know, and I, I continued to pick up all these injuries, I made the classic mistake of, uh, of trying to play through injuries until uh-huh. one day I just catastrophically blew out two vertebrae in my back. And it was such a, wow. it was this very, this very rare injury where the nerve, the nerves coming off your spinal cord are totally entrapped. And by the time I made Ooh. it in to get an MRI, they were like, don't go anywhere. You're getting surgery tomorrow morning or else, you know, you're going to be paralyzed. So it was a, you know, long road back recovery wise. And how long ago was that? That was about 10 years ago. How have you cared for yourself differently since that happened? I did get back to playing soccer and I was very proud of that. It was a huge motivator, just like Derek, losing that from my life, losing those social interactions. I mean, it was, you know, probably the most exciting part of my week every week playing. But now I am kind of your, your classic 46 year old dad who rides a bike instead of uh, Mm -hmm. playing high-impact sports because I just don't have time for the injuries. I mean, it sounds like you were in fairly good shape. You kept your body moving. And it's not uncommon for people who are in good shape to still um, hurt themselves physically as they age. So I'm wondering if you can explain to us what, in fact, is going on with our bodies that makes us more susceptible to injuries as we age. You know, at the kind of cellular level, I mean, what's basically happening is that your tissues don't repair themselves as well. I mean, there are a lot of hormonal changes, you know, there's a change in the sort of chemical mix that is circulating in your body, you know, pro-inflammatory changes. And a lot of the tissues that need to regenerate as your body absorbs the stresses of training, they don't regenerate as quickly. So you're going to notice things like it takes you longer to recover from workouts, it takes you longer to recover from injuries. And in some cases, you don't recover completely anymore because some of these some of these cell lines sort of have a limited number of times that they can actually completely repair themselves. Mm. Now you have these other things that happen like your eyesight, the muscle fibers that give us kind of speed and explosiveness tend to decline. So, you know, mm-hmm. sprinters get affected uh, before marathoners, for instance. So, okay, that sounds terrible that, that, <laughs> that all these things <laughs> begin to break down. But like, we're at a time right now where we're seeing older athletes doing things that other athletes in previous generations could never do at their age, right? The, a big deal is made about LeBron's incredible productivity at this, at, you know, his thousandth year in the NBA and Tom <laughs> Brady went for a million years. So what are people doing differently now? And I guess what can our listeners who want to perhaps extend the life of their physical and athletic ability, what can we do? So it's a great question. My orientation in in researching and writing this book was to sift through all this stuff and take out the bits that, you know, somebody like me or like Derek would actually want to employ in your life. In a lot of these things, there's um, what you'll hear called an 80-20 rule where, Mm. you know, 20% of the interventions get you 80% of the benefits. So those are the kind of the ones Mm. that that I focus on. The big ones that I identified are periodization, it's basically a technical term that describes a sort of training structure where you are training in increments toward peak fitness. You know, periodization is this is this process of stressing your body 
a little more than it can take and then allowing it to have time to recover and then stressing it again. Is that like doing like interval training? Is that essentially what that is? Interval training is closer to something, to, to a principle called polarization. Polarized training is this idea that your body responds to training in very specific ways. And there are specific adaptations that come with intense training, and there are specific adaptations that come with easy training. The most common mistake people do is to train in a way that's neither intense nor easy and causes you to really miss out on the specific benefits that you get from working at the two ends of that spectrum. So a polarized training program tends to be one where you're doing a small amount of very high intensity exercise and a large amount of very low intensity exercise. The high intensity exercise trains your sort of your peak and the low intensity exercise gives you, you know, kind of a big cardio base. Yeah. And I asked that question as if I actually know what interval training really is. It's just, (laughs) I, you know, again, this is, I'm like such an amateur when it comes to this stuff. You know, and it's it's like I'll go for a three mile jog, do some push ups and sit ups. It feels good, and that's about all I'll do. You know, and then I'll play in my weekend basketball game. But I feel like I'm that doesn't seem to be sufficient. Well, yes, that's kind of a classic, not terribly efficient way to train your body. Now, if the thing you're training it for is not super demanding, it doesn't really make a difference. But you know, basketball can be pretty demanding. I I don't know how you play it exactly. But if you want to train for the sort of high intensity of, you know, an all out basketball game, then you should be incorporating some high intensity training into your training, which would be something like high intensity interval training. Mm -hmm. And then what you want to complement that with is a lot of very low intensity training. And what I mean is like the intensity is so low, it feels almost awkward or embarrassing to do it. What is an example of, is walking that, or what What, what are we talking yeah. about when we say low? Yeah, walking, yeah. very slow cycling, very slow jogging. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's so easy, it almost doesn't feel like, like exercise. Okay, so let's recap. Periodization is just the idea that you don't just train the exact same way forever. You can improve your performance by strategically overstressing your body for a period of days, weeks, or months, and then understressing to allow for recovery. But our main takeaway is about polarization, the idea that you can distribute your intensity within a specific workout or couple of workouts. Most of your work can be at low intensity, and a much smaller amount can be at high intensity. Especially for an older athlete, the low-intensity workouts like walking, training, riding a bike, and going for a leisurely swim build the cardio base and allow you to enjoy your sport for much longer. The thing that's so great about low-intensity training, like the reason it's such an important part of a workout, is that it doesn't have a recovery profile, right? High-intensity training has a steep recovery profile. You, If you go and you do, you know hard intervals today, then tomorrow your body is not going to be able to work out as hard. You're going to be in your recovery curve and you're probably, you know, if you're 46, it's probably going to be two to three days before you can put out the same kind of power as you did, you know, in that Mm -hmm. workout. But you can go and walk for an hour or, you know, slow jog for an hour And you can do it again, you know, an hour later. There's no recovery profile to it. So therefore, you're able to do a very large amount of it. And that's able to give you a really big aerobic base. So like, should I be doing that high intensity and then on the on the other days be doing the low intensity? I guess I'm just trying to kind of get a sense of like, what's the best mix? Yes. So a polarized training program would be one where you're doing about 10% of your work is high intensity, you know, 
And then 90% of your work is low intensity. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's talk about Derek's specific situation. First of all, why is there a rash of Achilles injuries? I mean, we were talking about this before that like, you know, it happened after the Aaron Rodgers thing. That was kind of like the highest profile one of the last few months, but it seems like there've been a lot. And Derek says that when he talked to the other guys he plays with, they were like, yeah, this is a thing. Why the Achilles? Why does that happen so frequently? And is there a way to protect against that? So different types of tissues have, you know, different injury profiles. Tendons have pretty low vascularization. So mm. it's why it's such a nasty injury, because it takes a really long time to grow back. The less blood supply a tissue gets, the slower it's going to grow, the slower it will regrow. You know, I think that as with all things, you're kind of, you know, you're as, as we get older, your tissues get kind of more brittle, especially in somebody who's not doing a lot to kind of keep them supple. I'm guessing, mm. you know, when we say a, a rash of Achilles injuries, I actually don't know the stats here. I don't know if Achilles injuries are, sure. are becoming more common or in what sports are becoming more common. <laughs> but it would make sense that, you know, if you're in a sport where the average age of competitors is increasing, that you might see relatively mm. more Achilles injuries. It's interesting because it feels like there's two questions or two buckets of things. One is about general fitness, capacity, muscle strength, just endurance, things like that. And then there's specific questions about joints, tendons, and injuries. And so I'm wondering if we could talk about each of those kind of separately. Like, what kinds of things should we be doing to prevent injuries in our joints, tendons, and kind of like ligaments as we age and when they remain active? Oh, that is such a good question. So... I would say the the number one thing you should do is have really good genes. <laughs> Great. There's a guy I interviewed for my book. His name's Stuart Kim. He's a, a scientist at Stanford, and he is like the guy who studies uh, the genetics uh -huh. of injury susceptibility in athletes. And he discovered there is, for instance, a, a certain gene that you can have that codes for extra tough collagen. If you have two copies of this gene, you will basically never mm. tear your ACL. Can you hack that by taking... Collagen's obviously very popular right now. Bone broth is huge. People say that collagen bone broth. There's collagen supplements. There's collagen protein powder, which I take. And so I'm wondering, is that an effective way to kind of up your collagen? Or is that just more Instagram health stuff? You can help your collagen regrow. Uh, you can help recover from damage by supplementation. Yeah, increasing the availability of collagen in your body. Definitely helps with that. And Derek, if you're not taking some extra collagen right now as you're healing, then you definitely should be. Really? Oh, that's, I had no idea. Cause I mean, I know like, you know, people do it for like cosmetic reasons, right? Like in the lips and stuff. I never thought you could just <laughs> inject it into, should I just inject it straight into my Achilles? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, drink, you know, drink, you can get like the kind of cheap gelatin they use in baking. You can buy the expensive bone broth from the health food uh, store. It doesn't really matter. Collagen is collagen, but that is honestly, I am such a skeptic of nutrition stuff. Nowhere mm -hmm. is there more fakery in this mm -hmm. stuff than in, than in nutrition, but collagen is one of the few things that I, I, I will say the science is very strong. Mm. That is so interesting because I'm also like extremely skeptical of all of that stuff. As for avoiding injuries like that, avoiding uh, joint injuries, ligament injuries, I mean, okay, specifically training for the stresses that you're planning to put on your body is mm. an important one. It's obvious, but the fact is like we don't do it. Like Derek was just saying, you know, he he runs, you know, runs three miles to play a basketball game. Well, what are you doing when you're playing a basketball game? You're not jogging in a straight line. 
at the same pace, right? <laughs> you are changing speed and direction all the time in very abrupt ways. You're jumping. So my question to you, Derek, is were you incorporating jumping and cutting and, you know, sprinting into your workout for basketball? Gosh, when you put it that way, <laughs> I feel like such a fool. Yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely true. I mean, I just all those movements are kind of highly specific and I was doing none of those things. So, and the other thing is like, I had, I, you know, I've rolled my ankles so many times on both feet that I've got these like super expensive, like bionic ankle straps, essentially, like you lace them up and there's like 20 different straps of Velcro on top of that. <laughs> and I was kind of like, Oh, this will protect me. And I think, you know, it certainly didn't hurt, but like, I also feel like I was completely ignoring just the underlying muscles and tendons that I probably should have been like working out. Mm. Yeah. Also, it might have hurt. <laughs> I hate to yeah. say it. Yes. Yeah, but maybe. I, that thought came to my head to tell us more about that. Yeah. I mean, that is something, the, the idea of an exterior brace is something where I think that that used to be kind of more in vogue. I mean, if just look at the design of basketball shoes, the way that it's changed where, you know, they're, right. they're not really high tops anymore. You know, if you have a back injury like mine, they will tell you don't wear a back brace. What you really want to do is like build a back brace in your body made of muscle, right? Mm. So when we get injured, right, it's, it's basically our bodies getting surprised, right? Your brain modeled what was going to happen. And then reality didn't go the, the way that your brain thought it was going to happen. And our body is unprepared for the forces that are going to be put on it. Mm. You know, it didn't activate the right muscles at the right time. And suddenly there was too much stress on, you know, this ligament or that bone and something gave. Now, there are ways that you can train your brain and your body so it doesn't get surprised as much. Mm. Your body's awareness of itself in space is called proprioception. And there are things that you can do to train your body for proprioception. One of the best ones you can do is single leg training, balance training. Anything you do where you are training your body for sort of instability really increases your, your proprioception and your ability to kind of deal with those little, you know, wobbles that we all, you know, inevitably get, you know, slipping on a wet basketball court, for instance. So um, I would say you should be training, yeah. you know, do a lot of stuff on single leg, do a lot of stuff on wobble boards. You know, if you're doing squats, do some of your squats on a wobble board, you know, do it on an uneven surface. That kind of stuff mm -hmm. is really good for, for preventing those sort of sudden injuries. Okay, if balancing on one leg seems a little silly at first, just think about what Jeff is saying here about preparing for uncertainty. Just like life in general, athletics is filled with uncertainty, especially as you get older. And that's our next takeaway. Don't surprise your body. Instead, train your body for the specific stresses it might encounter in, say, a pickup basketball game. Coming up, one of the most important things you can do to maintain your body is something that you're probably already doing. You're just not doing it enough. We'll be right back. If you rely on how-to to keep you in the game, the best way to support the show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Signing up for Slate Plus helps us help all the people you hear on our podcast every week. Our biggest complaint in our reviews is that people don't like hearing the ads, which I totally get. But the thing is, we still have to pay rent. So Slate Plus is really your best option. Slate Plus members never hear another ad on our podcast or any other Slate podcast. You'll also get free and total access to Slate's website. Plus, 
you'll be supporting our important work. So I hope you'll join if you can. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash howto plus. Again, that's slate.com slash howto plus. Thanks. We're back with our listener, Derek, who, in addition to being How-To's executive producer, is also fighting his way back from a torn Achilles tendon. Derek and I are talking with Jeff Brokovici, who wrote about how athletes can improve with age in his book, Play On. So far, we've been hearing about how we can train in ways that are safer and more effective. But what role does rest play in recovery, especially as we get older? So rest and recovery are two words that appear next to each other a lot. They are certainly related. They're not the same thing. And one of them is super important. And and the other one is a bit of a buzzword. Hmm. Can't wait to hear which is which. (laughs) So so sleep is not bullshit. (laughs) You know, Mm. sleep is is the most important form of recovery. And all the other ones are, you know, tied for for 10th place. (laughs) If your fitness is a stool, one of the legs of your stool is training one of the legs of your stool is sleep and one of the legs of your stool is nutrition. If you're not getting quality sleep, your body is not really recovering the way it should be, you know, and all the training that you're doing, a lot of it is wasted. Uh, If you're not getting good sleep, your likelihood of getting injured goes way, way up. Certainly your likelihood of getting sick goes way, way up. Again, you know, this is, this is such obvious stuff, but I think if you, you know, if you're like me, you look at your sleep habits and you can instantly identify five things that you know you should be doing that you're probably not doing. Amen, brother. <laughs> 15 years ago, elite athletes would all be bragging about how hard they trained and what, you know, masochists they were and that they didn't sleep. You know, now yeah. they literally brag about how much they sleep. You know, Roger Federer yes. says that he slept 12 hours a day during tournaments. You know, Michaela Schifrin would say that she would, you know, she bragged that she was the, the you know, the greatest napper in the world of sports. In my opinion, you don't need to track it with a watch or a smart ring or something. I think we all have a pretty good sense. Are you getting good sleep or not? That is one of those things that kind of spills over into recovery, this buzzword of recovery. You know, one thing that's really kind of been drilled down into the head of, of, uh, of sports scientists and coaches and athletes in the last 20 years is that harder is not better. Train smarter, not harder. You know, once you have done a hard workout, the best thing you can do for your body is go home, eat healthy food, and go to sleep. To continue to work out after you've done your workout for that day is actively bad for you. What a glorious, luxurious insight. Get some sleep. Rest gives our muscles time to recover and allows our minds to recharge. And here's another of the big tentpole principles that Jeff learned while writing his book. Movement. Moving the day after your your workout or your game does a number of things. You know, it, it helps restore your range of motion. It increases your blood circulation, which, you know, it brings the nutrients that you need for healing to those tissues. And it flushes away the metabolic byproducts of the day before, which you don't want them hanging around. Now, remember that fitness metaphor Jeff used earlier, that nutrition is one of the three legs in your fitness stool? But Jeff also said there's a lot of nutrition BS out there. I'm sure that you both have probably, you know, read about the famous Tom Brady diet. Oh, like he won't eat nightshades or whatever. I guess now that he's retired, maybe people don't talk about it quite as much. But probably the number one question I would get at the time the book came out was, uh, so so Tom Brady, that that weird diet Mm -hmm. he's on, is that real? (laughs) (laughs) And the answer is kind of, but like not for the reasons it's supposed to be. 
this Tom Brady diet is really based on this idea of, you know, eating a lot of alkaline foods and avoiding a lot of acidic foods and maintaining a certain kind of pH balance in your body, which sort of makes sense, except that your body's a lot better at regulating its own pH balance than, than this idea presupposes. I mean, you mm. know, certainly... Tom Brady had a, a wonderful long career. He was incredible, you know, in incredible shape when he was 45 years old. Was it because he never ate a strawberry or was it because, you know, of all the stuff that he did eat that was really healthy for his body and the fact that he didn't consume alcohol or sugar in significant amounts? You're right. There's so many like wild specific things like now we're measuring our pH balance and now we're measuring the alcohol. Like the average person can't rock with all that stuff. Anyway, I mean, even if that were to work. And it sounds like what you're saying is that the, the differences at that level might be so minuscule that they don't necessarily apply to the average person who's not trying to win their seventh, you know, Super Bowl ring, but effectively just trying to make it so that they can walk around the block on the day they die of old age, right? Which is how one friend of mine described the goal of physical fitness. I'm wondering if you can like sort of, yeah, distill down what are the main nutrition takeaways that apply to most of us? Main nutrition takeaways you know, don't eat a lot of highly processed food. Don't eat a lot of sugar. Don't eat a lot of red meat. Alcohol specifically can interfere with protein synthesis, right? And protein mm. synthesis is how we grow new muscle, how we, you know, we, we grow our muscle from workouts. So, and as we said before, if you are over 30, your body is producing muscle less efficiently than it used to. In fact, you probably are beginning to lose some muscle mass that will accelerate, you know, through middle age. So you really do not want to be drinking a lot of alcohol after your workouts. You are going to be leaving muscle on the table if you do that. Protein is one where there is some debate about how much protein is enough. You will hear some experts or quote-unquote experts quoting really high levels of protein consumption that you need. Mm -hmm. And then other experts will say, okay, if you eat that much, you're just going to be peeing most of it out. I guess my sort of takeaway is that if you are very active and, you know, you don't have as much muscle on your body as you want, you probably should be looking at, you know, whether you're eating enough protein, when you're eating that protein. I don't know, Derek, mm -hmm. I'm curious, how much do you, what's your protein consumption look like? I'm thinking about this right now. I actually feel like of all the legs of the stool, like the nutrition piece, I think I'm probably doing a little better on as mm -hmm. far as just, you know, trying to eat fairly healthy, balanced veggies, fruits, all that good stuff. I'm not like a big drinker. I'm not a smoker, That those kind of things. But yeah, maybe I could probably use a little more protein. Actually, the muscle thing that you just mentioned, the one thing we haven't talked about yet is uh, strength training, yeah. like weight training. And yeah. again, I, this has never been something that I've really been drawn to. And I, I don't know, I was just curious if you had any thoughts on that. Yes. I think strength training is something that everyone should do. Everyone who, you know, I mean, everyone should do, but especially everyone who aspires to be any kind of uh, athlete should do. Now, whether that strength training is weight training is an, an open question. You know, there's, there's really, really good strength training you can do that is, you know, body weight training or resistance training using things like bands, but absolutely you should be using resistance to your muscles as some portion of your training. There's quite a lot of benefits. The benefits to your heart, the benefits to your brain that kind of aren't obvious. Obviously, it makes your muscles a lot stronger, mm -hmm. makes your bones a lot stronger. It can stimulate, you know, growth of new things like new uh, cartilage cells, which are something mm -hmm. that 
uh, you probably want more of as you get older. You know, that's that's one of those kind of slow growing tissues that tends to uh, break down as you age and not regrow as fast. I'm a big fan of strength training. This is by far the most catastrophic injury I've ever had. And it's, I think that's just what's, this was like what has really made me sort of snap to attention. It's like, oh, I, I really need to like change something. This is maybe a stupid question, but I've always just wondered like, should I be stretching more before or after my workouts? I feel like there are a couple different schools of thought when it comes to, to stretching. Oh, this is such a controversy. You want to get me canceled? Yeah, yes, we do. This would be great. Great for ratings. Um, yeah, so I try not to think of it as stretching. I think of it as uh, as mobility work, right? There's two concepts, two paired concepts, mobility and stability. And you want to have both of those things. If you have strength without mobility, that's, that's rigidity and br brittleness. But if you have mobility without strength that is instability, right? So so those two things mm. should should always go hand in hand. As for how you what the best way is to achieve mobility, I would say dynamic range of motion exercises before performance and then you can do static mobility exercises after performance. Now what that looks like in practice is, you know, you warm up a lot, you do some range of motion exercises, you know, high kicks, you know, walking lunges, things like that before exercise. Because if you do static stretches before exercise, what it actually does is it reduces your peak contractile force of your muscles. Hmm. So, you know, you warm up before the race, you do your toe touch where you're holding your toes, you know, bent over all the way for 10 seconds. Well, you're not going to be as fast sprinting out of the blocks if you do that. And if you're playing basketball, you know, you really don't want to lose that peak contractile force because that's something that you need, for instance, when you're recovering from a jump right? That is actually going to make you more likely to hurt yourself. This explains so much. Yeah. <laughs> but then when you're all done and you're cooling down, that's a good time to do those deep static stretches, you know, hold it for 30 seconds that really increase your, your range of motion. You know, go to, go to a game early, go to a soccer game early and watch how the pros warm up. They're not sitting there doing, you know, hold it for a long time hamstring stretches. They're doing, they've got a mm -hmm. whole, you know, mm -hmm. a whole routine. A few principles that I picked up that I try to always remember. So if you're gonna do any kind of high intensity performance, basically the, the shorter duration and more intense the performances you're trying to do, the more you need to warm up for it. You need to warm up a lot more for a 100 meter race mm -hmm. than you do for uh, a marathon. But if you are playing basketball, you should get out there and get really sweaty anytime before you play. Another principle I have is never play through injury, right? When I used to play soccer and I would see the old guys, I mean, if you play pickups in New York, you know, you see, you see, you'll see these guys yeah. on the basketball yeah. court or yeah. at the soccer field who are like 60, 70, and they're there every week. And I would ask these guys, like, how are you doing it? The number one thing, never play hurt. If you get a slight injury, you take it off and you rehab until you feel great again. And the third one is do not ever compete when you're not trained for it. If you're like, oh, you know, I missed a few workouts, but I really don't want to miss my soccer game this week. Eh, that is the time to stay home, do a workout instead of the game. It sucks. It feels terrible. But when you're asking your body to do something you haven't specifically trained it for, that's when you're going to get hurt. Oh, my gosh. That is a revelation. Wow. I mean, I feel like that in some ways, in a nutshell, is exactly maybe what has happened to me in the last couple of years. Because I, I really, truly, during the pandemic, just did not. You know, maybe I got a few runs in here and there, but I just completely like lost all my fitness 
did hardly played any basketball. And I was so eager to get back out there when I could, but I did not ramp up to it in the way that I should have. Derek, do you have lingering questions? I don't know if Jeff could answer this, but, you know, it sounds like we're about the same age. And I think there was a moment here where it was like, boy, is this something that I'm not going to be able to come back from? Mm. But I'm, I'm pretty determined, you know. I guess it's just like, at what point should I actually hang it up? When does, do I need to just accept reality? That's a great question. Wow. I want, I mean, I definitely want to say never. It doesn't get harder for older athletes. It just gets more time consuming. (laughs) You know, Uh, the amount of time that you have to put into taking care of your body gets very tedious. And there comes a point, you know, there came a point for me where I was like, well, I could do five hours of training a week to play one soccer game, or I could ride my bike and play some easy tennis and, you know, hang out with Mm -hmm. my daughter and do archery. And uh, Mm -hmm. there's a related Mm -hmm. question of how do you need to play to feel like you're getting what you want out of it? You know, for, Mm. for me, part of the reason that, that it was hard for me to age as a soccer player is I was overdue for a conversation with myself to say, you know, you're not that player anymore. You're not the guy who Mm. runs down every loose ball, you know, and covers every run. You're the guy Mm. who, you know, kind of jogs through the game and understands what's going around you and, you know, makes smart passes. I needed to become that kind of player. Mm. Right. So yeah. I don't know. I do, do. When you play basketball, can you be the kind of player who's like know, calm and, and in control of your body? This is maybe just kind of a, an ego thing too, because <laughs> you know I'm not an amazing player, but like again, I I played high school and you know a lot of these games. It is kind of one of those you know spaces where I can kind of excel, right? It feels good to like play well and be one of the better players. And I used to be one of the younger guys at some of these games. And now I'm definitely like in the middle of the pack, even trending on like the older side. And it's like, you see now there's like new younger guys coming in and playing. And it's like, you want to try and keep up with them. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, you, You're absolutely right. Like I, I, I need to develop my like old man game, you know, my hook shots and yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really, first of all, want to thank you, Jeff, for just sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. And I hope that people listening, like have been able to take away a lot of things that will, you know, help all of us, like, and our desire to like extend the use of our bodies for as long as we can, as long as we can. And Derek, even though you're my producer and my boss, still want to thank you for coming on as a guest today and being honest about your struggles. And I think it's like the perfect opportunity for people to just like relate to someone relatable. So thanks yeah. to you both. You could tell it's a topic I'm, I'm still mildly obsessed with. So thanks mm. for, for giving me the chance. Thanks so much, Jeff. That does it for today's episode. We'll link to Jeff's book, Play On, on our show page. Are you haunted by the metaphorical nightshades in your life? Send us a note at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001 and we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is our senior editor and our producer is Rosemary Belson. This episode was produced by Kevin Bendis. Mara Jacob is our senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Courtney Martin is my co-host, and I'm Carvel Wallace. Thanks for listening.